So there we are talking about you being known as the father of the internet or co-founder of the internet. Has it lived up to your expectations, Vint? Um, it's, it's a mixed bag, to be really honest with you. Um, I, I can tell you that uh, when the internet was first being designed, we're talking 1973, it was resting on top of a previous network called ARPANET, which you mentioned in your introduction. I want to say that uh, Peter Kirstein at University College London was the person who was most um, essential in introducing both the original ARPANET packet switching technology and also internet into the UK. Uh, his colleague, uh, Donald W. Davies at the National Physical Laboratory invented the word packet from which we derive the phrase packet switching. Um, and, and so the UK has had a central role in the development of this technology. This is not all an American production. Uh, I had hoped that, uh, that it would become a kind of uh, communications platform. We, we, we thought back in the late 60s and early 70s that computers could be used for more than just um, computation. We were thinking in terms of communications, intermediary, uh, computer-mediated communication, in addition to non-numerical uh, processing, artificial intelligence, and so on, was all part of the picture. Um, the internet, especially with the arrival of the World Wide Web, thanks to Tim Berners-Lee's work in the late 1990s, or early, early 1990s, December of 91 or so, followed by the um, evolution of Netscape Communications, Google, Yahoo, and others, uh, has really enhanced our ability to share and discover content on the net. And I am a daily user, I should say literally all the time, user of Google's technologies and others in order to get my work done. And I suspect, that, like me, if my mobile weren't working, a lot of things would be really difficult to impossible, including finding your way around town. So in that, in that sense, the internet has been wildly successful. The introduction of the iPhone was pretty dramatic because it took two um, parallel technologies that had not been interacting with each other to mutually reinforce each other's value. However, the arrival of uh, social networks, uh, things like Facebook and, and YouTube and Twitter and so on, uh, has shown us that um, these kinds of technologies have some fairly negative uh, feedback loops in them, and uh, they are—they have to be understood more deeply. And I'm going to be speaking tonight on that topic at the Royal Institution when wetware meets software is the title of the talk. So I'm very concerned about abusive behaviors that show up on the net, and certainly state actors that uh, invade uh, other countries. Uh, in the numerical sense of the word or network sense of the word, causing all kinds of trouble. And we have to learn how to cope with that. Some of the solution to that may come in the form of critical thinking, you know, wetware up here that asks questions about where did content come from? Uh, if assertions are being made, is there any corroborating evidence? Is there some reason why somebody would want to convince me of A versus B? Uh, but we need to make ourselves ask those questions we need to teach young people especially to be asking those questions as in the normal course of events, not, not simply because the internet has um, misrepresentations in its content, but all the other sources of information can be equally troubling. You know, movies, newspapers, magazines, you know, your friends, uh, your parents. 
uh, might all be sources of misinformation, and you have to learn to sort through that. The, the funny thing is that there are some families that really resist that idea because the kids come home from school and they start challenging their parents' opinions and views, and some parents don't like that. But my reaction is that's what kids need today in order to grow up in an online environment that, that they're basically facing with. So the answer is it's done some pretty amazing things, and it's created um, a hazard, a platform for hazardous behavior. And with, uh, with any luck, we'll figure out how to cope with that. But it's going to take some international cooperation to achieve the objective because some of the harms cross international borders. The, the you know, parties who are harming people may be in one jurisdiction and the victims in another, and we have to figure out how to cope with that. That means that uh, we may end up looking for international treaties or maybe even just norms. So I know this is a longer answer than you were expecting, but uh, there's an organization called the Global Commission on the Stability of Cyberspace, which I am a member of. And uh, the committee has, or commission has turned out about a dozen different recommended norms. Norms are not treaties, they're not enforceable, they're strictly voluntary. But the first one that the uh, commission uh, offered was a norm that said you don't attack the public core of the internet. You don't wipe out the submarine cables. You don't do denial of service attacks against the root zone of the domain name system. You don't attack the routers. Uh, and the reason that you don't do that is the same reason you don't bomb schools and the hospitals in either peacetime or wartime. Now, whether that norm is adopted or not is, is still an open question, but it's that kind of thinking that might get us to a point where we have more international cooperation to preserve the values of the Internet while defending against abuse.